This is your host, Shashank Shekhar, and welcome to another episode of Shashank Redemption. Hey, welcome to the new episode of Shashank Redemption, where I'm super excited for my guest today. Um, Tamir and I have spoken a couple of times in the recent past. I have followed him for a while. He runs a hugely successful company. And so I'm super delighted to uh, welcome to the studio Tamir Poleg, who is the chief executive officer and the founder at The Real Brokerage, which is listed on NASDAQ with the ticker symbol REAX. So welcome to the show, Tamir. Thank you, Shashank. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in. Yeah, for um, for our audience that may or may not have heard of, of The Real, uh, why don't we start by talking about the company itself before we dive into your journey? Sure. Uh, so Real is a technology-powered real estate brokerage. Um, we founded the company back in 2014 because we wanted to create a platform that delivers agents, real estate agents, uh, better service at a lower cost. And um, we also wanted to create financial opportunities for real estate agents. So for us, when we looked at the real estate brokerage uh, eight years ago, we realized that this industry is dominated by pretty much the same names. All of them are up operating in the same model. Mm-hmm. And we thought that there is a better way of doing brokerage. Uh, so how can we look at agents as small businesses or small business owners and uh, look at what they need in order to succeed and build a platform for them that sets, some, sets them up uh, for su- success, delivers them all the tool, all the technology that they need, provides them uh, very favorable economics and also creates finan- additional financial opportunities for them. So that's how we started the company back in 2014. Uh, and as of today, we are licensed in 44 states in the US and in two provinces in Canada. We have uh, over 4,700 agents working with us um listed on nasdaq we're, we've been publicly traded for almost two years now and uh we're just enjoying tremendous growth our revenue growth in 2021 was uh 635 percent so i guess it, it places <laughs> us probably as the number one uh, uh fast growth uh, real estate tech company in the us maybe in the world uh, but what we're really doing is really changing people's lives in the real estate brokerage industry. And that's what we're passionate about. Um, yeah, so that's us in a nutshell. Yeah, and that's that's something that comes across every time I speak to you, Tamir, is, is that passion for changing the industry. You, you mentioned about the growth, uh, and the growth is probably the result of that passion. I mean, it's new, not usually not the other way around where, you get the growth and then you get passionate about it. It's usually the passion that drives the growth. And 635 percent is is an is a crazy number. I mean, we uh, we at Insta Mortgage have been named to practically every single list as as one of the fastest growing both mortgage and private companies um, in the U.S. and even the the Americas, the two continents. But 635 percent growth is is just just I mean downright crazy. Walk us through. Uh, the the achievement like that is because you are not even say in in real sense not not a startup i'm sure you might have a culture closer to a startup culture but you're already publicly listed you are in 7th 8th year of your 
um, of your company. So it's not, we are not talking year one, year two growth where you're starting with very small numbers. So it's easier to show right. that kind of growth. So walk us through what, what really propelled that because I'm sure uh, my audience and listeners will, here will be very, very interested to, to learn from you. Sure. Uh, so, you know, as an entrepreneur, I have to tell everyone who's listening that we went through all the phases of a typical startup. And for many years, we were really struggling. So if, if you look at companies that are uh, that look successful or are, are enjoying that uh, high, high speed growth, uh, you should also remember that maybe in their past they were struggling and some some entrepreneurs today are struggling. So I, I want to tell them just hang in there and, and just continue to push forward because for many years we were struggling. We were uh, struggling to raise money. We were struggling to get the growth that we thought we can get to. Uh, and there were, I mean, for many years, we were either growing by anywhere between 50 to 80%. And sometimes we were somewhat stagnant as well. But I think that what changed our, our growth trajectory was the fact that we did two things. One, we took the company public in a very unusual point in the company's life. So back then we were making around $10 million in revenue, <clears throat> sorry, annual revenue. And uh, we decided to take the company public because real estate agents that join real are our partners in growing the company. And we believe that our partners, the agents should own a, a piece of the company they help build and owning equity in a, in a publicly traded company is much more attractive to agents compared to owning stock options in a startup. And that's why we took the company public. At the same time, we also decided that instead of spending marketing dollars, paying Google and Facebook and Indeed for advertising, and this way we will be attracting agents, instead of, of spending those dollars outside of our network, we are going to empower agents into attracting their friends to real. And if they're successful in doing that, they will be earning marketing dollars from us. So those two changes in our model really changed the growth trajectory. And, and that created that um, local fires that grew into a national fire that resulted in, in this tsunami of growth that we're now experiencing. But uh, again, it's, it's like, like in every other startup, you just try and you experiment. And if it works, great. And if not, you you change something and try again. And I think that for us, we changed, we tried a lot of things throughout the years. And then finally, when we took the, com the company public uh, and we changed our marketing approach, I think this is uh, what kind of unlocked that uh, rapid growth. So I want to come back to, to going public at 10 million $10 million revenue, because that sounds highly unusual. But before that, um, I also want to go back to a little bit of a history on, on Realist, because I, I see, um, or at least in my understanding, the company has evolved uh, since, since uh, you started in, in, in June of 2014. As you rightly said, there have been stagnant years, there have been okay years, and then, of course, the last year was a crazy year. Um, Walk us through the journey of Real itself to the point where it has evolved to where it is right now. I mean, you mentioned uh, 4,700 agents. I think just just a couple of months back, you were at 4,000. So it's not just last year that you had 635% growth. It seems that even this year, the growth has been, at least in terms of agent count, has been extremely significant. But but more importantly, because a lot of, a lot of my listeners, Tamir, are probably slightly earlier in the stage of building their companies. 
Uh, walk them through, say, from 2014 to 20, maybe 19, 20 kind of a journey. How was that for real? Uh, it's, it's a great question because, you know, it, it, it feels like a lifetime. And every <laughs> entrepreneur knows that one, one year in a startup equals seven years in real life. But um, <laughs> like, like every other startup, real started with an idea. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea came from really looking at, at a market that we were passionate about. I was coming from real estate and I knew that I wanted to continue and do something in real estate. I knew that I wanted to converge technology in real estate, but I didn't know exactly what to do. And when we looked at different verticals within real estate, one day we looked at the real estate brokerage industry and we realized that first, it's it's a huge industry that generates $100 billion in revenue. It's dominated by antiquated model, antiquated players. Uh, it's ripe for the word disruption, which I don't know if I like or not, but <laughs> I think it, it Real started with a very honest and simple vision of making real estate agents' lives better. And I think that one thing that we did from from the inception of the company until this day is put agents first. So agents are our clients. They're also our partners. But I think that every decision that we took uh, places the agents first. Uh, And we don't ask ourselves, okay, will this be profitable? We believe that if you create value, that value will attract users and then you will be able to monetize. So we uh, we set out on this journey in 2014 with just an idea in mind. We raised a small uh, pre-seed round, let's call it, of $300,000. We started four co-founders. Right now, I'm o- I'm the only one that was that's left in the company. One left very early on, uh, and then my two other co-founders left in uh, 2018 and in 2021. Um, but so we raised $300,000, then $900,000. We built an initial product. The product wasn't great. It was a web app. It wasn't working well. We quickly killed it and said, okay, we need a, a native app. So we built it. We didn't have a great product market fit, but we had a, a great business market fit. So agents joined us solely based on the premise that we will be able to build something for them, but we still don't have it. And we we didn't have something meaningful for quite a few years, but agents just love the fact that, that we're passionate about what we do, that they have favorable economics here, and that we know how to serve them, that they, they could really see our hearts in each and every action. So I think that, that was attracting agents to us. Um, we went through two rounds of downsizing, uh, and those were probably the two most difficult points in the company's life. So we were struggling to raise funding, um, and I had to lay off almost everyone uh, twice. So the first time we laid off almost everyone, then we secured some funding, we hired, and then a year and a half la- later or two years later, we didn't get any funding, so we had to lay off almost everyone again. So those were two very traumatic points in my life. But one of my my closest partners, and uh, he was our seed investor. He's an angel investor that invested in some of the world's most successful companies. Uh, he was the first investor in in Fiverr, in Etoro, in some some uh, massive success stories. Mm-hmm. And he told me he always told me just keep the company alive. Eventually something will happen. As, as, soon you're, as, as, as long as you're in the game, things will continue to, to evolve. And someday 
something will happen. And when I was struggling, every time I reminded myself of that. Uh, and if there are entrepreneurs here, this is my advice to you. Just keep your businesses alive and continue to try because markets change and, and uh, people's preferences change. And sometimes you have a, a aha moment or you meet somebody that becomes very valuable to the business. So if you keep pushing forward, you will succeed. Uh, so I kept pushing forward. And uh, before we went public, we raised a total of 16, $16 million, which is a small amount for a company to raise before going public. After we went public, we actually raised an additional 47, 48 million. Um, but I think that from a journey perspective, we really went through the typical journey of a startup. We were not a success story from day one. We were struggling to, to raise funding because when we came to VCs to talk to them about this is the next generation real estate brokerage for them, for VCs, innovation means that if there's um, a middleman in a transaction, innovation should eliminate the middleman. And we were coming to empower agents, to empower the middleman. So that probably shut the door uh, of 90% of the VCs out there. So it was, those were really difficult conversations. So uh, I, I don't know, bottom line, is um, building a company is a journey and it's a painful journey. Um, but, you know, sometimes uh, with a lot of uh, luck and perseverance and efforts, you, you can make things happen. So Tamir, that's, uh, that's one of the most real stories and, and no pun intended here. That I've heard for uh, for a, for a startup going here is because what we are used to seeing, especially I'm I'm, I'm here in Silicon Valley, is is all the all the glamorous raises and how valuation keeps going up every six months and and how they become unicorn in no time and and all of that stuff and and it's it's I I, I put that analogy as very similar to. Um, say young teens watching models on Instagram and, and TikTok and thinking that they they want to be like them. It's it's kind of an unrealistic expectation. And similarly, if you uh, are running a startup or if you're an entrepreneur, if you want to get into this, you if you have a similar unrealistic expectation as that, or oh, this is so fancy and this is so glamorous and this is so sexy is that I go to two VCs, raise my first 15 mil, and then six months later, I have like a 50 million valuation. And then Three years later, I'm I'm running a unicorn. That's not how it typically works. What Tamir mentioned is probably more closer to the reality. The fact that he had to let go almost his entire team twice uh, in a very short span. If you think about it, I mean, Real is not that old a company at all. It's it's only an eight year old company to do that twice in the journey and then eventually be able to go public. I mean, talks a lot about the pain that. He must have had to go through when I have to lay off as as a CEO, just a couple of people. I mean, and that pains me. So I I can just understand where where Tamir is coming from. But uh, thank you for uh, speaking from your heart, Tamir, because those are a lot of things that people don't share. I mean, they usually just tend to share the highlights and the great points of their career. But this is where we learn from. I mean, I'm I'm learning so much already in terms of the emotional journey that that a founder and entrepreneur has to take. Yeah, well, I, I proudly share that. And I think that in the past two years, we've been living in a world where there was an overflow of liquidity. And yeah. that that kind of uh, 
it confused people, it confused entrepreneurs because it seems like the goal was to raise money or the goal was to become a unicorn instead of <laughs> keeping the goal at building value for, yeah. for users, uh, for your clients. And I think that we are now starting to experiment some sort of a correction where things are becoming a little bit more sane and more balanced and VCs will, uh, will be a little bit more, I don't know, cautious in how they spend. And, uh, and I think that that process is very much, ne- very much needed at this point. Uh, entrepreneurs should focus on building um, a sustainable, profitable business and focus on, on value instead of focusing on valuation. Um, because at, at the end of the day, what builds a successful business is the ability to drive value and monetize it and not the ability to raise money and continue to raise money for forever. Yeah, so very well said. I mean, focus on growing the value and not the valuation and the valuation will follow the value. But if you're following the valuation, then, then without without value, then it's not going to last very long. And I, I can think of multiple examples within PropTech and FinTech, and I'll probably not take their names, but, but I can think of think of the, the journey where they have focused on valuation only to realize later that there was very little value. So also, Tamir, talk, talk to us a little bit about going against the grain. So most of the prop techs that had come up over last decade, I would say, their big promise, their big premise has been the fact that, oh, these real estate agents are not required. Um, something that I have been against from from day one. That's what we do on the mortgage side of it is that we we ex- we think that the future is hybrid where yes, you want to have a consumer direct play, but the loan officers who are local in the market understand the markets really play a huge role. Um, if you look at the data, Tamir, I mean, not 1980s, I think there were about 82% of the transaction or 80% of the transaction that involved real estate agents. Last year, 88% of the transaction involved real estate agents. So that number has actually gone up. I mean, yeah. And, yeah. And most of the prop techs were raising money, going to the VCs were saying, I mean, real estate agents will not be here. They will go the travel agent or the insurance agent way, but you you looked at it differently. So walk us through your approach and, and what mindset and what were you looking into the future when almost every prop tech that I can think of who were in the space were, were actually saying what you are saying that the VCs were asking for is that why do we even need that middleman? Uh, why did you put your put your money on these middlemen, on these real estate agents? Sure. And I think you uh, um, unintentionally also answered the question. But before founding Real, um, I owned a real estate company that was focusing uh, mainly on multifamily investments. Um, and throughout my career, I was working with a lot of agents. So I knew exactly the value that agents bring into a transaction. Even after doing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of deals, I still needed the agents by my side. Mm-hmm. So I knew that agents are irreplaceable, but sometimes you have to, to double check yourself and see if <laughs> others things like you. So when we founded the company back in 2014, we actually look at the, looked at data. And as you mentioned, when you look over time, over the past 20, 30 years, the percentage of buyers and sellers using agents is on the rise. Right now, it's stabilizing around yes. 88, 90%. But if you listen to what consumers are saying through data, 
consumers are saying, we want the experience of working with agents. Now, it also makes sense because at the end of the day, this is the biggest financial transaction or decision in the average person's lives. Uh, they, they're coming to it with a little bit of insecurity. They need some handholding. They need, they need education. They need an expert. It's the same as you knowing that you need to be operated on. I mean, you have, you have a, a heart problem, for example. Would you go to a doctor and actually consult and have that doctor operate you? Or would you go to a website and register <laughs> and say, okay, I have this problem. And the website will tell you, okay, give us your credit card details and please show up on this day at this time and open door number three and just lay on the bed and <laughs> a robot will come in and, and operate on you. Like <laughs> buying a home is, is highly emotional. Uh, for some people, their finances are more important than their health. So that, that example that I just gave you um, needs to demonstrate that for the average person, it's really important to have somebody that they can trust, that can walk them through that process and be there and understand both their questions re around the transaction, but also their emotional journey. Uh, and and how to to handle emotions throughout the journey. So when I looked at things, I thought that as long as it's humans that are buying homes, it will be humans that will be helping them buy or sell homes. Um, so for me, it, it was very clear, and it's still very clear. Yeah, I mean it is it is very clear, but it's it's also surprising how people just kind of get caught in this entire thing of what is everybody else doing? And, 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 and it's like, if everybody else is saying that the real estate agents can be eliminated, let me make a model that, that says the same thing and let's, let's go to the VCs and, and raise funds. It's, uh, it's refreshing sometimes that you look at the real data and not just, um, not just this fancy gut feeling that you have. I mean, you looked at the real data and you saw that the percentage of people actually using real estate agents were, were going up while, Everything that we were hearing and, and, and we were reading was about all these different companies saying that there will be no need for them. And so that's the model that we are working on. So, um, And that's, again, a really good lesson for, for uh, people listening to this podcast is that look at the real data instead of the fluff and instead of the noise that's going around you, because that's what drives uh, the future growth and, and the fundamentals that you're building. Now, that brings me to the question that I've been kind of itching to ask from, from your very first answer, which is how did you decide and how did that, that happen? First, first the decision itself, and then how did you pull it off at, at going public at $10 million, $10 million um, uh, revenue? Because that sounds from, from the way I look at it is, is a relatively very low number to even consider going public. So first, if you can guide through what the decision process was, and then how did you actually end up doing it? <laughs> Good question. That throws me back uh, around almost three years. Yes. Um, you are right. It's a very small number. And companies are not going public at uh, with $10 million in revenue. But typically, companies will go public uh, because they want to achieve one or one of two things, or maybe both things. Uh, one, raise capital. And two provide liquidity to their shareholders. In our case, 
the reason for going public was neither this or the other. We didn't want to raise money and we didn't want to provide liquidity for our shareholders. We wanted to have a currency that will help us attract more agents and a currency that will help our agents build more wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of changed the entire perspective of when to go public and how to go public. As a small company, we said, okay, how can we go public in without putting too much burden on the company? Because mm-hmm. being a publicly traded company means that you have to pay a lot of money to yes. auditors, to attorneys, and just spend overall a lot of resources, time, on just managing a publicly traded entity. So we were looking for an exchange that's kind of friendlier for smaller companies or younger companies. Um, So even before that, when I had this idea of going public, um, we had just a few hundred thousand dollars in in our bank account. Going public costs a few hundred thousand dollars. So I- A few million dollars, yes. Yeah, yeah, I I was- uh, I was giving a low low estimate, but um, so I was going back to uh, going to, to our board and saying, okay, this is what I think we should do. That's what I think the outcome might be. It's a big risk. It's a big bet, but really, I don't think we have anything to lose because the company wasn't. It was getting to to somewhat of a of stagnation back then. Um, it really it did not do this break breakthrough that everybody was expecting. Uh, so I said, you know, let's try it. If it fails, we failed. We will, if we continue on the same path that we're on right now, we will probably fail as well. So it's worth trying. So I think that this is how I got their buy-in. Uh, what they told me is that, okay, we support, support you, but you will have to raise a little bit of money just to, to fund that process of a few hundred thousand dollars. So I was looking for an exchange that will be um, friendlier. And we found the the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture in Canada. Um, They had a program that's quite similar to to the SPAC program in the US. So Mm -hmm. a shelf company with no history, just a little bit of money in them. So SPACs usually have hundreds of millions of dollars in them. CPCs, which is the Canadian... um, equivalent have a few hundred thousand dollars in in the publicly traded entity. So we found a a CPC company, we merged with them, um, and then the rest is history. But uh, it it was a a calculated bet, I would say. (laughs) This is just brilliant. I mean, listening to you, first of all, um, because the first thing that comes to anyone's mind going public is are the two reasons that you mentioned, but to think of it as a currency that could attract talent um, is, is just brilliant. And to even, even imagine this at your size with just a few hundred thousand dollars in, in, in your bank to even consider doing this. Uh, of course you pulled it off eventually, but I mean, I can, I can bet that 99.99% people would not even be thinking about it, let alone actually figuring figuring out a way to, to get done. So we are coming towards the end of it, Tamir. What's what should we expect from real in the in the coming months and years? What's what are some of the things that um that you're working on that you're highly passionate about that you think that that 
will further improve the lives of the real estate um, agents that the company is working with. Uh, tell us about some exciting things and, and where do you see the, the industry itself is heading? Sure. Um, so obviously, from day one, we were working to build a platform that um, will just be the, the, the perfect platform for real estate agents. Uh, we're still not there. I think we've made tremendous progress, and this is why a lot of agents are joining us, but we still need to improve. We need to improve on on support, we need to improve on visibility, we need to improve on different tools that we want to offer our agents, we need to improve on uh, additional financial opportunities uh, that we can allow our agents. Um, so real will continue to grow agent count, we will continue to, to expand to new markets. And overall, there are 1.2 million active agents in this country. And I believe that within a few years, many of them will be a part of the real network. Wow. At the same time, I also think that there's a tremendous opportunity that uh, many uh, many brokerages are just overlooking or ignoring, which is the fact that the home buying process for the typical, the average buyer is just, it's not, it's not optimal. It's not convenient. There's no transparency. It creates a lot of anxiety. And I think that us as an industry, again, we have to listen to what consumers are, are telling us. And for me, what consumers are telling us is that they want a home buying experience that combines the benefits of a digital transaction with a human agent in the center of it. So how can we look at a transaction, identify what's not working well for buyers? How can we provide convenience and speed and transparency and control using software throughout the, the home buying process, but still leave the agents in the center of the transaction. And this is what we are now bu uh, building at Real. So alongside building the consumer, the, the sorry, the agent offering and growing our agent count, we will be launching uh, a consumer product in which when a buyer is working with one of our agents, they will get, uh, a home buying experience that's so much better than working with any other agent of any, any other brokerage in this country. And eventually I think that people will perceive real as the company that really changed the way people buy and sell homes using a combination of technology and agents. So for, for me, that's the future. Yeah. And then definitely uh, a vision that, that um, I share. So, um, and I can't wait to see, um, see how you redefine the consumer experience because that's something that that I'm personally passionate about and I, I'm so glad to see leaders like you taking the charge uh, with that even though the the start has been really choppy for uh, for real I can I can see where the future growth comes from with uh, with creating the value that that you have always been um, thank you so much Tamir I think this has been very very insightful uh, in terms of understanding your personal journey entwined with that of that of real and how both of you both you and real have come along a long way even though it's it's, it's a very very young company so to say i mean in real estate terms or in any terms really seven eight years is nothing sometimes yeah. and, and you're already making huge impact um and the vision that you have for future for changing the consumer uh experience around home buying it's, it's something that we can all learn from yeah, thank you, Shashan. Thank you for uh, inviting me and listening to me. And uh, 
Um, and I have to say that I'm, I'm super impressed by everything that you have built. Uh, I mean, we've known each other for, for a few months now, and we've looked into your business, and we are extremely impressed with everything that you do. And I think that we share the same vision of creating a better future for home, home buyers in this country. So happy to, to continue and collaborate. Thank you, Tamir. Thank you.